Well, it is a pleasure to be with you, honestly. I, um, I, I, I hoped people wouldn't hate me as I walked in, because you know I am here, and uh, I hate it that the Bradfords are leaving as much as you do. I, I hope Jeff will reaffirm that I did say, you guys need to stay. But if you have to go, and I uh, offered some suggestions, but um, I'm looking forward to being with you. Um, you will love getting to know the Davises. Uh, you notice what the session felt they had to do, and uh, having someone to sort of stand in for Jeff, and that is to hire one and a half persons to do that. And even then, we're not uh, going to fill his shoes, nor will we try. We do not want to be with you for a very long time, to be very honest. Um, and I hope, Lord willing, that's what happens. As Mike outlined the process to you just a moment ago, these things end up taking longer than we expect they should. And so uh, uh, it would be nice to have the right person in here tomorrow. But, uh, but in any case, uh, it's a really a privilege for us to be with you uh, during this uh, season and um, we'll see how long it lasts, hopefully not too long. But I had an assignment um, in coming today when uh, kind of we sealed the deal a few weeks ago. Jeff uh, wrote and said, would you be willing just to continue on with this series in Revelation? And so he assigned me the church of Sardis. And you just had that scripture read to you a moment ago. Let's look at it again. It's a, short, uh, it's a short message, and I want to kind of let these uh, thoughts get fixed in your mind. So uh, just the portion that is the actual message to the Church of Sardis, uh, let me read that again. And you can follow either in your own Bibles, um, and please leave your Bibles open uh, so we can be looking at that, or check on the, uh, on the page, just the page where it's printed, uh, and we'll follow that through. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the first time I read that text, I could not get past verse 1. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, 
But you are dead. And from everything I know about you, you have a great reputation. And I had to stop and say, wait a minute, am I supposed to be coming the first time in as sort of like the prophet Jeremiah and say, but you're dead. Boy, they're going to love me. Well, this is what it says. And this is the issue, really, that we need to talk about this morning. Reputation versus reality. And they're not necessarily the same, are they? Well, before I get back to what Jesus thinks of liberty, let's remind ourselves of what we have here. Uh, these are seven brief letters spoken by Jesus himself. Now, all of the Bible is the word of God, but very specifically, these words that you just read are the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, sort of reminding the churches of his ownership of them. It says in verse 1, you notice, as he speaks, that he is the one who holds the seven spirits of God. That's the way it reads. Uh, it, it could also simply be, see, be a reference to the sevenfold spirit of God. That is the Holy Spirit. All of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the seven stars, which in other places is a picture of the church. Ultimately, friends, whose church is this? Liberty Fairmount. Will you agree with me? It's Jesus' church. It's not Jeff's church. It's not your church. We use that phrase. I'm going to my church on Sunday. Pastors have a bad habit, I think, of referring to churches as their churches. But the fact of the matter is, this is Jesus' church. And what the reputation that liberty may or may not have in some other setting is ultimately, frankly, irrelevant. The question is, what does Jesus think of this church? Because it's his. He's bought it. He's paid for us. He's clothed us. There's a reference that you've seen here to wearing white garments. Well, those are not because of our purity. It's because of the purity that Christ gives us. And so we really have to ask ourselves as we go into the next chapter of the life of this congregation, what does Jesus have to say about this church? Now, I say that because, because I know you basically by reputation. And it's a good one. And I believe it's well-deserved. I am not coming here to tell you in case you were worried about it, that you're dead. I can't say. I suppose we'll learn more together. But the fact of the matter is I'm coming here with a great spirit of anticipation because of your reputation. And it started, and Jeff alluded to this, but 
This was the place where our youngest son, we have, we have four kids, we'll tell you kind of more about our family as we go along, but our youngest was in very, very dire straits in a spiritual way. Um, we had moved up here, I, I pastored a church in the Washington, D.C. area for 30 years, and then we were moving up here to Philadelphia, somewhere around the time that he was finishing high school, and uh, was beginning to struggle and came to the point where he stopped taking communion. He said, I don't think I should call myself a Christian anymore. And it, we were by this time living here in Philadelphia, and he applied to two colleges, Temple and Pittsburgh, symbolic, really, of either end of the, the world. And he, he, no knock on those of you from Pittsburgh, but he... But he did what I think of as the Jonah thing. You know the story of Jonah? God said, go this way. And Jonah said, I'm getting as far away as I possibly can. That's what got him out into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and into trouble with the big fish that swallowed him. So not surprisingly, when Will had the choice of where to go to college, he chose to go as far away as he could get to Pittsburgh. That we did, you know, that we could still at least sort of pay for. Because he was going to find, finally, the freedom that he was looking for to get away from all of this church stuff, all of this Jesus talk. And it didn't help him, of course, that he was the son of a pastor. So one way or the other, he was off to Pittsburgh to find great freedom. And he didn't at all. He looked, but it wasn't there. What he found in God's kindness was a sweet girl going to Grove City College that uh, was determined to follow Jesus. And he said, if, you're, if we're going to have any kind of relationship, uh, you've got to know that's where I'm going. And uh, by this time, Will was kind of fed up with trying to find the great freedom that he thought he would enjoy. And he said, well... You know, probably it's about right for me to do that too. And so he began kind of timidly following Christ again with this girl that he ended up marrying. And they moved right here into this neighborhood, actually. And uh, Bob Dalberth, who was part of the church at the time, uh, helped him find an apartment. I can't remember all how that connection even even happened. And, and again, it just happened that on a, I think it was a weekday, I'm sure I have the facts mixed up, but on a weekday, uh, they, they happened to bump into each other on the street, and Bob said, where are you going to church? And they said, well, we're not, we're not sure. And they said, well, we're starting up a new church Sunday afternoon, and uh, why don't you come? And they said, well, okay. And uh, that was the beginning. And um, um, I've said this to Jeff publicly, but I'm so thankful that I have the privilege to stand before you as a congregation to give thanks to God for how he used Jeff Bradford in the life of our son, Will. We are here as very, very <clears throat> grateful parents. Um, and then Liberty became their family, and uh, the Bradford home was their model of a Christian a family, and uh, so Susan was very much a part of that too, and a lot of you were too, I'm sure, in those early days. So I want to tell you that's the reputation that Liberty has 
in my mind, and that was several years ago. And of course, that could be, well, that was then, this is now. Well, the fact is, because I've been a pastor here in the city, I continue to hear reports of, of the same sort of thing happening all through the years. And I want to say to you, friend, if you're, if you're in the mode of searching for God, and you really are going to get serious about finding God, this is the place where you'll be safe. You can come here. I know that. And search for as long as it takes. Nobody's going to jump down your throat. You perhaps have had enough of that. But I want to tell you, there's nothing out there, friend. And if, if somehow you become convinced of that, you want to begin to get serious about finding God, this is the place to come. And if you're like my son, and perhaps this is the story of many others of you as well, you, you couldn't wait to get away from this Christian heritage that you grew up with, only to find out there's not much out there that's worthwhile. Not much fun. And you've sort of found your way back, and, and you're here. Well, I, I'm happy to be with you. I, I love to be in this kind of a setting. This is kind of what gets me going, and so I want to just say it's, it is a privilege because I believe that the reputation that you have is a good one and a right one and a deserved one. And if, Lord willing, you will work with me, we will see this uh, reputation continue and even grow in this next chapter. That said, we should not simply close our Bibles and say, well, this particular message doesn't have anything to say to us. We're in great shape. Now, I want us to take a few more minutes this morning and look at what Jesus says to this particular church. Now, I, I was listening to Jeff on the, on the uh, Internet, and he made the point, which is absolutely correct, that when Jesus spoke to these churches in Revelation, these were actual churches. This is not simply symbolic. There was a church called Sardis that was very arrogant it was a city actually in decline. They didn't know it at the time. It had been a very affluent city, and they thought they were hot stuff. They had big walls and all of this stuff. But in fact, the foundation was crumbling. And even as a city, it was about to go away. And of, of all the churches, you'll notice if you go back and do a study of the seven churches that Jesus talks to, this church, of all, of, uh, as he does with no other, there's nothing in here about, I commend you for such and such. And every church... I like this, but I don't like this. But in the case of the church of Sardis, he has nothing good to say. He just says, you folks think you're hot stuff, but I got news for you. You're dead. And you don't know it. Well, let's see what we can learn from this word to this church of Sardis. Look at verse 2. It's right there. It's not a complicated Message that we need to unravel. Wake up! And I would say to you, don't be smug. Don't you kid yourself that a church like Liberty can't die very quickly. There needs to be some vigilance about this. It's, it's a shame and a tragedy how quickly 
churches that sort of spring up and are vital and active and do a wonderful ministry, how quickly they become ingrown. Why? Oh, because I love to come to Sunday morning because that's where my friends are. And Sunday morning means, yeah, okay, we'll sing some songs, we'll have some worship time, but then I get to see my friends. And in the the busyness of greeting your friends, you can miss Jesus. Isn't that the point of the passage when you look at it? He does talk about the return of Christ, to be sure, but there is this sense in which you've missed it. You've been so busy doing church that you've missed Jesus. And so the first word I would say to you this morning is Liberty Church. You need to be praying together. Lord, let this not happen here. We want to be a place where people meet Jesus. And that's going to take ongoing, specific commitment to see that happen. I do believe very strongly that Jesus is at work in this world. I mean, we look at all the chaos in the Middle East and uh, Libya and Iran and Iraq and, and, and so forth, and it looks like everything's out of control. Well, in, on a human level it is, but somehow Jesus is at work in, that, in all of those messes. He's at work in this city of Philadelphia with all of its problems and difficulties. And my friends, Jesus will work through liberty or around liberty. He will get his work done. I will build my church, he said. And the, and the tragedy is when you... And, and again, it's all through this city, isn't it? You see people who have invested... Enormous amounts of money and sacrifice, you know, to build these wonderful, beautiful buildings. And they're museums. Didn't mean Jesus has stopped working. He's just found other ways to get his job work done. And I, I want us to pray together, Lord, will you be pleased to work through us? Don't let us be a block that you have to go around us. And so the challenge is wake up. And then the word says, if you look at the next text, simply remember. Stop and recall who you are. Excuse me for flipping back and forth. I came with the the New International Translation to find out you're using the English Standard. They're pretty much the same, but anyway, I'll, I'll make that adjustment the next time we're... We're together. So I'm reading from the from the text again, verse three. Remember then what you received and heard. It sounds almost too simplistic, but really that's the heart. To never forget who you are and to keep coming back again and again to the most basic thing of all, your union with Jesus Christ, with one another. And individually. And let me say, what what I am delighted about in coming to be with you is the fact that we're going to end this service this morning doing exactly that. And you do it every week. 
Sandy and I have been overseas, actually, since August. We were living in England, uh, having a wonderful time. Um, I was supposed to be a consultant helping out in discipleship ministries. I did that, but we somehow managed to enjoy England at the same time. But, but one of the great blessings we had, actually, was in our community, we started attending the local Anglican church since the, the ministry we were involved in was Sunday afternoon. And um, I guess we're closet Episcopalians after all, but, but we particularly loved the fact that the service would conclude every single week by coming up to the front of the church and receiving the Lord's Supper. And Sandy said, oh, I'm going to miss that so much in terms of coming back here to the States. Well, well, this is a bonus for us, really, to be with you and to celebrate that with you. But what is that communion? I mean, it, communion has so many different layers, so many different things that you can teach. But I look at the communion, among other things, as a time to, I guess you'd say, course correction. And when I look at the word repent here in the text... I don't think it necessarily means to say, oh, I weep and wail, Lord, I messed up again. I totally blew it. I'm just a, just absolutely a, a blob. But please forgive me for, you know, weeping and wailing. Maybe we do too much of that. But there certainly is a need to every time, to regularly stop and say, where am I going? And it, you know, it doesn't take much, does it? I've done a, just a tiny little bit of sailing, but you get off course just a little bit, just a, just a degree, and it's not long before you're kind of way out there. And so what a gift that you and I have every single week, really, every single week, to come back and say in the, in the presence of the Lord Jesus and with the fellowship of the believers to, to, to kind of course correct. That's what I think of as repent. That is, I want to turn back to Jesus. I want to come and say again, Lord, this is the only thing that really matters. This is what it says in, here in the text. Remember what you've received. And hold on to it. Repent. And so, just taking communion, of course, is not the answer, but it is enormously significant as a symbol, and that's what it's supposed to be. A sacrament, a time of reflection. In which, we, in which we together say, Lord, put us back on course. Course correct, back to Jesus. Center on Jesus and the other stuff comes. But you keep that focus straight and the church is going to remain, I believe, healthy. And it is interesting, just uh, the last thought I have as I was looking at this passage that it is indeed addressed to a church like Liberty, but also it brings on board individuals. Notice in verse 4, yet you have a few people in Sardis, and I'm not going to go into the specifics of what he has to say, but he's simply acknowledging that yes, there is a community, but there's also individuals. And so even as we think together as a church, of where liberty is going, that we want to keep focused and centered on Jesus. Let me also speak to you as individuals and just say to you, uh, stop and ask yourself kind of where you're going personally. It speaks of this white robe that you wear, the whiteness, the purity that is found in Jesus Christ. 
And so while it, it, it speaks to the church as a whole, it also speaks to you as individuals. Wake up! In fact, I have to confess to you, I, I was, I mean, literally lying as, lying in bed at night, and, and these verses were starting to go through my mind. And I was wrestling with how do I apply this thing about, you've got a great reputation, but you're really dead. How do I apply it to liberty? And all of a sudden it said, wait a minute, Smallman. What about you? Jeff stands up and says some nice words about your reputation. It doesn't really matter what other people think about you. What does Jesus think about you? And the wake-up call, I'll be very frank, from this passage is, is for number one. And uh, I want you to pray for me. I really come, again, not expecting that I'm going to have to sort of be the rescuer, the knight on, white sh- knight on shining armor helping you. I, I need your help. Together, we need to grow. Maybe I have a reputation, but uh, but maybe I'm also closer to dead, I think, sometimes. Not age-wise. I know I'm an old person, but uh, you need a few more grandparents around here, don't you? In fact, I'll be away next weekend uh, speaking at a men's retreat Um down in Sandy Cove, I've been invited to come. And we, we agreed together that we would just simply do a study of the book of Colossians, which is all about the centrality of Jesus. And I had to think to myself, you know, Jeff talks about how things unfold in terms of the purposes of God. And what a, what a wonderful thing, really, for me to have had the wake-up call. Because, frankly, you get very lazy. Sandy and I have been in church every Sunday. Um, but if you're not connected to a community, right, you find yourself sort of getting a little bit sloppy and lazy and you're sort of beginning to die a slow death spiritually. And so this passage for me was a wake-up call. And then the, the week, the very next week I go away and, and I'm the leader, I know, leading a study of the book of Colossians. But I'm going to be the first in line to say, Lord Jesus, I need to... Learn what it is to keep you center in my life, in my thinking, in my thoughts, in my ambitions. And that's what I pray for you, for each one of you personally and each one of, and all of us as a church, that we would remember the very core of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and come into that center. Let me pray, and then Jeff is going to lead us to the communion table. Father, I do have a sense of privilege to be here with these dear folks. I look forward to getting to know them and feeling part of this fellowship. I am deeply grateful, Lord, for a chance to to minister back to a church that has meant so much to us and our family. And I thank you, Lord. It's, it's my deeply held conviction that this word, you have a reputation that you're alive but you are dead, is not really spoken to this particular church. But deliver us from ever being arrogant or assuming that we 
have it all together. We need, Lord, constantly to correct our course by coming back to Jesus, who is the very core of our faith and of our life. To that end, I pray for each one of us individually, wherever we are in our journeys, but also as a church, that Christ would remain the center and the focus of what we do and say. For his glory we ask this. Amen.